We've got two very different draws to break down on this week's edition of Chelsea Mic'd Up, plus a massive match against Manchester United, a glory fixture being promoted as such, and the voice of college football joins us, a proper Chelsea fan, Chris Fowler, a legendary broadcaster, joins us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. All that and more, vamos! All right, mentioned it in the intro. Two draws to react to here before a massive match with Manchester United, a match that we're all a little bit more nervous about considering Manchester United looked pretty damn good in Paris, getting the upset victory on the road at PSG. Let's talk about Chelsea, though. A draw that featured six goals and a draw that featured zero goals. Let's begin with the most recent result. That's more positive of the two naturally because Chelsea never led in that game. So you didn't have a blown lead. So let's go with the bright spot. Edouard Mendy, a second clean sheet in his third appearance. This is honestly unheard of given the recent form of Chelsea goalkeepers even though Petr Cech appears to be an option for us, and I'm like slapping my forehead. Why didn't I have that take? Oh my God, I could have set the internet on fire. Had no idea the door was open. Petr Cech, friend of the pod. Edward Mendy, calming influence. Not spectacular. However, a lot of the goals that Chelsea have been conceding, Chris, have been unspectacular. To be able to have the faith in just the routine in this goalkeeper is pretty huge. And it did seem like he was a calming influence along that back line. This appears to be the most stable of the backline options for Frank Lampard. I know he was quoted before the game saying he loves what Azpilicueta brings to the table, especially from a cohesion standpoint, but he can't deny the talent that is Reese James. I think you and I both tend to agree with him there. I don't want to make the mistake of taking such a macro view. So let's look at one of the things that troubled Chelsea in the eyes of many, many Americans, for the first three halves uh, of football before Frank finally made the decision to move Christian Pulisic back to the left wing. We saw a lot of Christian lining up on the right side. Although to me, it appeared like he was playing more of a second striker role. I don't know if that's to give room for Kai Havertz more natural drifting into the right or to clear out room for Reese James. It was curious because you're asking a lot defensively of Christian Pulisic off of all these soft tissue injuries, I'm a little nervous. But what do you make of Frank Lampard lining Christian Pulisic on the right to start these matches? It's a different way of trying to get the balance right in the team, right? So I think the first time you play it against Southampton, you have Espiliqueta behind him. And so I do think there's a little bit of Christian Pulisic, this is your wing. Go and do your thing down this right-hand side. Espiliqueta is not really the bombing-on type. And so you allow him to kind of lead that side of the attack. Whereas I think in the second game, when you have Reese James behind him, then I think you're, you're kind of forcing him to pinch inside and really play in his less comfortable flank. And I think given how well Christian Pulisic bossed that left-hand side, it really does seem like all the best players play down the left, right? The right-footed players, and, you know, Neymar plays down that side. Ronaldo played down that side when he was a winger. Like, generally, that is the creative spot, the spot. I don't know why more so than the right-hand side, but it just is. And Pulisic was so comfortable there that I think you want to see him work off of Chilwell, which is the combination that we've talked about for weeks now after they signed him. And I think... Ultimately, this is part of an experimentation. Mason Mount, in my opinion, can play anywhere. He can play down the right, down the left, in the middle, a bit further behind. So I think 
that's not the issue. I don't think they're, you're, you're saying, I want to play Mason Mount down the left. I think it's more Frank must have seen something with how maybe Pulisic could work down the right and how that might be an improvement. I think given at halftime, it switched in the Sevilla match that maybe going forward, this will be a more permanent thing. Yeah, it seemed as though Frank Lampard kind of noticed what everybody else noticed, which is, okay, we know that Christian can play on the right now. And he did have some creative moments there in that first half against Sevilla. But I think we all prefer... Christian Pulisic on the left. And if the Southampton match taught us anything is we never want to see Timo Werner on the left unless it's for a cup tie and and we're just trying to get some squad rotation in there because that is a tried and true center forward, even though he could have had a better match against Sevilla. I guess a lot of the frustration from certain fans is why are we acquiescing the left to Mason Mount? If he can play anywhere, why does he have to play there? And I saw a lot of theories like, well, Mason Mount defensively for forward is one of the best in the world with his pressing and his motor not necessarily gifted with pace but a tenacity on the defensive end that can compensate from for some of your deficiencies on the defensive end and if Chilwell is lining up on that left why not compensate by having a more defensive wing in Mason Mount to which I say why are you signing Ben Chilwell (laughs) this is we shouldn't be diluting the purest cut of Chelsea's attack because we're worried about defensive deficiencies. Otherwise, you don't sign a player like Ben Chilwell. What did you make of the other uh, change that Frank Lampard made, taking Jorginho off and bringing Kovacic on? I thought that pivot worked out better with Kovacic and Conte. And Kovacic, obviously, we've spoken a lot about his dribbling acumen and how he can get you out of sticky situations. But defensively, and just from a pace standpoint, this might be the better way to go. Even though some of the service from Jorginho to Timo Werner, especially in that first half, was appetizing. You could see exactly what he can bring to the table. But I think if we're just putting our tried and true best starting 11, it doesn't have Jorginho in that midfield, considering the defensive assignments these players must have with such attacking talent. And ultimately, Frank Lampard's job is to find the balance of all these skills, right? So we've been asking what's the best midfield to play in behind Kai Havertz if you insist on him as the number 10. And I think, as you mentioned, Jorginho has a range of passing and kind of a command on the ball that you don't get from Conte and Kovacic. Conte obviously has the remarkable defensive abilities to snuff out counters and kind of lead presses forward. And then Kovacic has the ball-carrying ability and a bit more of the passing, although not as good as Jorginho, but better than Conte. So how do you marry all these skills is the question. I agree with you in the sense that this game, I think, called for a bit more solidity in that middle because Jorginho was never going to get the time just as for me the same in the Southampton game which is why he knocked a couple of those balls in behind he's never going to get the time to boss the game in the way that Jorginho in a game where you're keeping 65% of possession does I think without that ability to do that that's where you need Kovacic and that ability to work out of trouble which I think he does better and as you mentioned that defensive mobility Sevilla credit to them and their approach in Southampton as well a couple of teams have come to the bridge pressed them, made their distribution from the back uncomfortable, which Sevilla did today as well. And Sevilla certainly did better than Southampton to keep possession as well and and really take the game to Chelsea. So I think they were handed a few different kinds of games that we were used to seeing Chelsea struggle in. Uh, Southampton with their press and Sevilla press plus possession were really able to make Chelsea uncomfortable. I think beyond the fact that Jorginho was probably one counterattack away from being sent off, it was a situation I think presented itself for Kovacic. Chris, I'm trying to process exactly how I feel about this result because on the surface, 
these are predicted to be the two top teams in their group, right? This is the home leg. You should win this one, right? In previous years, I would be disappointed about dropping points at home against Sevilla. But Sevilla were very organized. That is a, a sound defensive squad. They made things difficult on Chelsea. And I guess I'm so encouraged by the fact that Chelsea had a clean sheet that I'm willing to accept that draw also because we never led far more than I am with that Southampton game, which was disastrous. And these are the games that you sort of circle in the calendar. And and when you look at what looks to be a pretty competitive top four battle, especially looking at the top of the table now with the likes of Aston Villa and Everton, surprisingly atop the table, that's one that got away from you. And the second goal in particular was just a mistake that can't happen. And I've been extremely patient, both on social media, in the heat of the moment, in my group chats, even to a degree, and and especially on this podcast where I've had the benefit of time to collect myself. But it's a real struggle, obviously, for Keppa. This is not about piling on to Keppa. The situation is what it is. World's richest keeper, yada, yada. That book came and went. I'm worried about the man that is playing that position, and I'm worried about my football team naturally because I'm a supporter of Chelsea Football Club. Whatever Keppa is going through right now, whatever it is, between the years, timing, communication issues, new teammates, there are reasonable explanations for it. However, he's had three errors leading to goals this season. He has the worst save percentage in the Premier League. Undeniably a talent because of the price tag that was associated with him, and he is a European champion. He won the Europa League final with Chelsea. So you know he has the credentials to be a successful member of this team. But for whatever reason, right now, it's a struggle. Frank Lampard gave him plenty of chances and backed him up in a way this year that I honestly wish he had backed him up last year. I don't think Chelsea can suffer through any more of Kepa trying to figure it out on the pitch. You are dropping big-time results at this point because they're going to come back and haunt you. This is one of the more competitive Premier Leagues we've seen in our lifetimes as Premier League fans. I can't be suffering through losses, defeats, draws, blown leads at home to the likes of Southampton. It's not working out. I truly can't make a sound argument for why you put Kepa back out there now that Mendy is healthy. Well, I think now that Mendy is healthy is an important caveat because he wasn't at the weekend. He would have started had he been. And I'm actually surprised that he looked this good when I think the recovery time for his injuries probably it looked like it was going to be longer. Frank Lampard was saying, oh, you know, the, the Sevilla game could be a doubt. But I kind of wonder if it's, hey, man, we need you right now because Kepa it makes this mistake. Now, I will say, in fairness to Kepa, and I, I like you, I'm always in fairness to Kepa guy. We should rename the pod in fairness to Kepa because <laughs> we, we've led a lot of segments off like um, that. that. That back pass from Kurt Zuma was really bad. That plays a role. I don't know why Kepa doesn't go with his hands out to try and get the ball. And then obviously he scrambles, and then by then you've conceded. But I do think that Kurt Zuma's mistake plays a role there as well. And I think as well, we should say that even though you know Chelsea gave up this late equalizer to Southampton, Southampton were on top of the game for large portions of that second half. They were making Chelsea uncomfortable. It wasn't just about the mistakes that Kepa make. And also, it's second phase from a free kick. We've seen Chelsea struggle with that before. And Theo Walcott just puts a shot through, takes a deflection, it goes in. The defensive issues in this game for me weren't just about Kepa. Although, again... You see 
an increased sense of confidence and an improvement in defending when Mendy is in the game. And it just looks totally different from Chelsea's point of view when he's in the game. I agree with you, Chris. It was a bad pass from Kurt Zuma. Now, Kepa has to be better with that pass. He steps over the ball and it goes past him. And then we have a situation which Christensen makes one of the defensive plays of the season for Chelsea, and we don't even talk about it. I don't know how that wasn't a handball. I really don't understand how it stayed in. Christensen bombs in out of nowhere. Kepa seemingly forgot that he could use his hands after Christensen fought all the way back to make an unbelievable sliding play. Kepa, use your hands. At the very least, if you're going to use your feet, kick it out. If Southampton is going to seize on these mistakes, you know that Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City will too. I think it's finally time for us to collectively say, look, we tried to fight through it. We, we can't live through suffering through these mistakes right now. It's a very fragile point in Kepa's career. I've told you time and time again, in fairness to Kepa, as the spinoff is, I like the kid a lot. I think it's born out of competitiveness. He wants to be out there. He wants to figure it out. It's just not going his way. And there's something larger here. It's just not a stroke of bad luck at this point. So hopefully Chelsea have solved the goalkeeping issues with Edouard Mendy. I feel confident in him. I'm not screaming in my home anymore. So that, that, is, that is a very low bar, admittedly. But you're just begging to not concede more than two goals in these matches because Chelsea had the potent attack to carry you. They scored three goals. They probably should have had a fourth, but you're asking a lot of your world-class attackers for them to put away every chance. So hopefully Kepa can do better. And uh, hopefully Kepa can figure this thing out. And for the sake of the football club, hopefully Chelsea don't have to suffer the results while he does figure that out. Chris Fowler, an American play-by-play legend. I'm a fan of his work with college football, tennis, a pregame host extraordinaire, and now calling the biggest college football games in the nation. A tried and true Chelsea fan, making his Chelsea mic'd up debut. Chris Whittingham, your broadcaster, you hold this man in high regard, don't you? Yeah, I mean, this is as professional, like just if you could typify a type of broadcaster in terms of preparedness, in terms of just that delivery. Actually, I love him on tennis. The way that he delivers a tennis match for me, like you put it on like Wimbledon in the morning, it's just, it's soothing. Like he is exactly everything that you want out of a broadcaster, in my opinion. Well, let's find out if he is soothing when he's watching his Chelsea FC or (laughs) if he taps into a more primal version of Chris Fowler. Let's figure that out together as he joins us here on Chelsea Mic'd Up for the first time. Watch every minute of every match. Download the Fifth Stand, the official Chelsea app. All right, this is one of the dream guests yet again for Chelsea Mic'd Up. Hot streak right now, neutral observer Chris Whittingham. I know you do a lot of broadcasting for Inter Miami and through the NA in your history, and you've been... Uh, the voice of several Las Vegas lights games that uh, (laughs) gambling addicts know you all too well from. But this is a legendary broadcaster. And with all due respect to you, Woody, this is my favorite broadcaster on the Zoom screen right now. Chris Fowler, the voice of college football, both for pregame and now just regular games. Chris Fowler, the most prepared broadcaster. I've heard legendary stories about how, and I need you to confirm this, Mr. Fowler. You would host college game day without the aid of a prompter? 
Correct. What's a prompter? What, what is this you speak of? No, yeah, we, we, you know, it was an unscripted show. It was formatted, but loosely. I had, uh, you know, I got note cards that look something like this. That I used to write, you know, bullet points on. This is not a game day card, but it was that kind of thing. And, and it wasn't scripted, but we, we got through it. And you can't, you couldn't do a teleprompter. Right? It would be hard to see outside the glare off of it. And, and this, the thing changed so often that you'd be, you'd be going back to your computer and retyping it. And you'd be wasting so much time. So yeah, we, we just winged it. It was, it was fun. 25 years full of people. Now, for those with the benefit of seeing the visual aid to this, you know that Chris Fowler is wearing a t-shirt and he's filling that shirt out much better than either of us could Chris Whittingham. <laughs> but most of these Chelsea matches, they're on while you, while you were doing your college game day duties. Now it's a, a bit different with you actually calling the games. So how would you go about your Chelsea weekends given your college game day responsibilities that you had a few years ago? It was hard for game day, for sure. I did game day up until 2015, and you'd have to just record games. There's no way you could watch them while you're getting ready for the show or on the show. The gig I have now, I use my Saturday mornings free, and believe me, wherever I am, I'm finding a game. On game day, the guy that sat over there, who was the researcher, he appears on the show as well, the Bear, Chris Felica. He's an Arsenal fan, so he would be very in tune to what my priorities were Saturday morning. He would keep me up to the scores. We would give each other a hard time about the Gunners and the Blues. But there, there were more people than you think who, who are lovers of college football but also have their favorite Premier League team. And it, it's kind of a secret society. But I, I found a way to keep up with the games and obviously always watch the extended highlights and then recorded them and watched them later. But it was much tougher in the game day years for the Saturday morning games, you're right. I imagine you ended up becoming like a second half of the season kind of guy after the college football season is over. You're all over every game. But uh, why Chelsea? What, what was the, uh, the genesis behind your fandom in, in picking Chelsea? Everybody asked that. They assumed that I came on board in 2005 or something. I was down from the dark years in the middle 80s. I and mean, they were in the you know second division and, and trying to get up and you guys aren't old enough to remember Pat Nevin, but there was a guy named Pat Nevin who was a you know, real entertaining, very speedy guy who scored a lot of goals. And he was interesting. I, the reason why is because I, when I visited London, I stayed in a hotel that was near Sanford Bridge. And so I, I kind of got to know that neighborhood. I didn't really have a team at that point. I was just out of college and spending some time in London traveling around and, and sort of like adopted Chelsea because Stanford Bridge was close to where I was staying. I didn't have a team and I found out they were not very good. But I, I had not picked the right team if I wanted to see trophies raised. But that changed, obviously. And, you know, the Root Hill at years, like 96 on, were, were great fun. As you know, very exciting teams. Didn't win the league, but won a couple of FA Cups. Rude was a colleague of mine at ESPN covering soccer. Right, so we yeah. always communicate, uh, you know, via text when a Chelsea's got a big game. And we talked about those days. And I, I loved him as a player and got to love him as a, as a colleague. But that, that's when it really caught fire for me, you know, into the 90s, obviously having some success. And then, and then you know, from here on out. And I, I, I was able to be there um, in May 2017 when um, Michi I got the late goal. They beat West Brom. And that was the three points to secure the, the Premier League title. I thought that was a life moment for me because you got to time it up right. I think which match might they do it? Can I get there? And it worked out perfectly. A goal like the 88th minute, I think it was, to, to finally secure the points. And it was a dream to be a part of that party scene afterwards. You know, I, I've had some pretty good moments. And, and obviously, you know, May 19, 2012 is one of the greatest sporting moments in my life as a fan. I can't really be a fan of college football because I cover it. And it just becomes too professional. But I can be a hell of a fanatic, idiotic Chelsea fan. 
And I think soccer has provided me with some of the peak sort of pinnacle moments as a fan. And I was at, can I name drop? Is it okay? <laughs> By all means, sir. Uh, Cheryl Crow is a dear friend of ours. We were at her house. I came in from the pool to watch this game in May that nobody understood what the hell I was watching a team from England play a team from Germany, what it was all about. But yeah, I mean, that, that was a moment. That was a moment that I'll never forget, you know, the, to win the Champions League away when nobody gave him a chance. That, that ranks right up there as a fan, the top three moments I've ever experienced. That is one hell of a flex. Yeah. You and I were both <laughs> drenched watching the 2012 I wish I'd been there. I, God, I wish I'd, if, you, if I'd known they were going to win, I would have made plans to go, you know, if... Uh, but, uh, well, you, you were soaking wet with Cheryl Crow's chlorine water, and I was soaking wet with celebratory <laughs> beers at, at the local pub. Rest in peace, Fado. You were great. Um, Chris, I was running I around ex- the house just screaming. I, no, nobody knew what the hell was going on. And obviously, you know, the way it looked bleak for a long time. Oh. And then the header goes in. And then I just, you know, no one knew why I was acting like a maniac in somebody else's house. But it was worth it. <laughs> I still watch that 88th minute equalizer oh, from yeah, DDH Rogba uh, once a month. And I still have no idea how he got it in from that angle and the, the roller coaster of emotions oh. from even after that moment. Drogba, the hero that equalizes, actually concedes a penalty. Um, Absolutely. But the entire time, I just felt like after we got that equalizer in the 88th minute, knowing the road that Chelsea took in 2012, being down a man against Barcelona and, and finding Absolutely. their way oh. there. I'm not, I'm not a big team of destiny guy, or at least I wasn't before 2012. But after that equalizer, even after conceding the penalty, I was like, it's going to happen for us. There's, so this you, is you weren't trophy. even sweating out the penalties? You, you had no tension in the, in when the penalties were taken against a German side like that? I mean, I... I don't know, man. I, I it's, it's still hard for me to forget Moscow against United and that final. I just said, please, it, it, people don't understand. They don't get it how excruciating it is to be a fan of this sport. When you when you love a team a lot, you know when they're up, you're just anxious they're going to concede. And it's when they're behind, it, it's like there's desperate. Right? Very few people outside of, of soccer fans can understand that specific dynamic. Maybe ice hockey is like that in the Senate Cup finals and the, the, the similar nature to the scoring, but there's nothing quite like the, the torture that you put through as a fan of a big match. Well, you mentioned worried that uh, the other team uh, might score and, and you're conceding. That, that's happening a lot more to Chelsea than it did in the days of 2012 and mm-hmm. a little bit earlier when Sanford Bridge was a fortress. I, uh, I My neutral observer co-host, Chris Whittingham, always gives me some grief over the fact that I kind of like a little bit more anti-football football. I like a more defensive-minded approach just oh, yeah. because... I uh, like I take, wins, man. Yes! I know we were communicating. Give me more boring wins. You know, I, yes. I don't want to be the entertainers. I mean, I, I get... Look, if you're a neutral, I, I get it, Chris. If you're a neutral, yeah. I mean, Everton, seven, <laughs> you score five, six, that's fun. When it's your team, and we're just not used to that, right, Mike? We're just not built for that, and especially at home, conceding to Southampton. To, to be up 2-0 and 3-2 and, and share the points, I was just livid. I, I got my Saturday off to a bad start. I mean, I, I got over it, but I, I'm not used to that. I'm with you, man. I, I, want, I, want, I want that blue wall back there. I want, I want a strong Jose Mourinho-style back four there, you know? Chris Whittingham just can't believe our preference when we tell him. But especially now, a club that identifies so much with success and the hardware to back up that success, I want to win. 
just a natural winner. I got to have the wins from Chelsea. And by playing this out, they're still finding a way to, to rack up some hardware and still add to their legacy, even though they're experimenting with new styles. And I actually saw the Europa League final with you in that sorry year. Yeah. was a bit of a ro- roller coaster. What's the one Chelsea match that stayed with you through a game broadcast that you just couldn't shake it? Oh, man. I mean, there's been some Champions League performances that have, that have stayed with me. That, I, that, that That's not through a broadcast because we're obviously done, but I, they've, they've ruined me. I mean, I, I didn't overreact to the Sevilla sharing the points because I know what happened in the last match to begin the Champions League when you lose to Valencia – I mean, that, that's just a bad way to start it. I, you know, at the Champions League, we all just want to hang around and make a run, and anything is possible. I mean, the Champions League is going to be a, an incredible competition, the way, the way that a lot of the leagues in Europe are a little bit upside down, including the Premier League right now. But I, I think that you, you just want to get off on a good foot. I mean, I, I've, I've losing a, an FA Cup final. I came across to watch and lose to the Gunners I mean, you know, in Wembley. I was... That was a tough one. We, we still had a great time, and they had, they had already won the league, so it was it, it, it was buffered a little bit. But you don't you don't like to lose a major trophy to Arsenal. I mean, I the ones that are happening this time of year, I'm not ready to you know fall on the sword yet. But but it's those ones when they, when it gets cranked up, when it starts to mean a lot uh, in the spring, and, and when they, when they get into Champions League play, those those losses are tough. I wanted to ask you about what Chris Fowler, the Chelsea fan, is like in his living room because we know you as perfectly professional broadcaster. We don't know you as crazed soccer fan. Can you put us in the room with you? Is there shouting of curses at the television? Do you behave in the manner that other sports and soccer fans do? Yes, I do. Uh, when I'm at home, I have to explain to my wife, okay, Chelsea's on. Okay, so she knows what that means. It does not, I'm not just watching another random game where I'm interested in it and I want us to be entertained. This means a lot to me. So I might get a little mental. You just have to understand there might be some yelling. I might be in a bad mood. I might be in a good mood, but she learns to understand that now she'll leave. I mean, she doesn't want to be around it. But you know, I like to I like to fight. It's hard in the morning matches. I kind of like the ones that are later on. I split time between New York and Miami. So, you know, going down there and, and, and you know, there's there are Chelsea fans that I'm either texting with or I'm hanging out with, depending on where I am. And, you know, it, it's it's fun. I love to watch a game in a pub. And that's 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 obviously what what the sport is built for. It's one of the reasons why it's so globally popular, right? So, but I'm a little. I'm not. I'm not proud all of my behavior in my living room all the time. I mean, I was a little. I was a little tweaked on Saturday morning. You know, I, I think I've I've yelled blank Zuma a few times. <laughs> I mean, damn it, uh, Zuma! Damn it, Zuma! I mean, he means. About, well, I mean, the Seville game. I mean, it's just that terrible clearance at the end of the first half. I thought this is not. This is not good. If if they concede there, I think it's going to be a tough throw back. It was hard to. To break down that defense, the chances were few. Werner just had one of those games and it wasn't clicking. He wasn't, it wasn't an A game finishing game for him. And and they were having a hard time. And I I, I just about had a panic attack. I think that is absolute. They're going to probably go through. Both these teams are probably going to go through, right? So you don't you don't get too crazy. But that that's the kind of thing on the heels of what I saw Saturday would have made me crazy to concede a soft one there at the end of the half. Yeah, I find myself honestly being a lot more patient with this manager just because he's bought so much capital with us Chelsea fans than I would for Maurizio Sarri. I I would get frustrated and that was also a little bit closer to the sustained run of success and there's a rebuilding now going on at Chelsea and you could do a hell of a lot worse in terms of a rebuild. They have absolutely reloaded. They've brought in world-class talent. This could be the start of another run but 
they very clearly need time to gel. As a squad stands right now, what's your main takeaway? Well, it's what you said. I mean, they're, they're just, we're not used to seeing them concede. It's very exciting. It's so fun to watch. It's so fun to be that team that has the fresh injection of young talent. Obviously, guys, I mean, having Polisic on the team is just enormous for me. I mean, he's a guy that I like a lot. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge fan of the U.S. men's national team and having him improve his game for that side by being with Chelsea and having uh, him be able to prove people wrong who say they just signed this guy to sell shirts in America. I can't tell you how many times I had to counter that argument and say, shut the up. Wait till you see the guy play. Wait till you see his speed, his footwork, his agility, his skill with the ball. I mean, you're going to see that he more than belongs, right? And he showed right away, I thought that he belonged. I, I want him to get physically fully fit now. But I mean, for me, that's a huge part of this team and this rebuilding is having Christian on the team. And then obviously, you, know, you spend a lot of money and you get Havertz and Werner, you expect fireworks. I just, as we said, I don't want to have to win games 5-4 and 4-3. I, 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 we want to have it all, don't we? You want to have an exciting open offense that's dynamic. You want to have people, you want to have a team that can lock people down. I think Mendy getting back, I mean, I, we've all been, there's a little bit, we, I think we were talking, you know, it's, there's an asterisk to some of these performances because we got to figure out what's going on inside Kepa's head if it's possible to do that. And some of the howlers are just on that. And some of the, the um, results have been on that too. So I'm very glad to see, you know, Mendy back. And I think it's going to bring stability and it's nice to have a clean sheet. I mean, not the most dynamic side they face, but it's nice to have. Sure, you can still do that, right? But I mean, <laughs> to answer your question in a long way, yes, I'm very excited going forward. And I'm willing to live with the growing pains and the frustrating head-scratching moments because I think that they are arcing in, in the right direction and have a foundation laid that can that can bear fruit for years to come. And they'll, they'll be fun to watch. No doubt about that. wanted to ask a follow-up on Christian Pulisic because you mentioned him in that answer. You covered the 2010 World Cup for ESPN in South Africa, which is kind of like a before and after moment for the coverage of soccer in this country. And I think from there, it's kicked on. And you see NBC with the Premier League and CBS with the Champions League now dedicating real resources and quality towards covering soccer competitions. But you saw the U.S. then, and it was, you know, the plucky Americans, right? That was always their narrative on the world stage but we're recording this off the back of Christian Pulisic starting for Chelsea but there were five Americans that appeared in the Champions League just today which is a record so when you see the growth of the American game from 10 years ago I know we obviously had the hiccup of not qualifying for the World Cup but it's still pretty incredible <laughs> progress that's a tactful way to put it a hiccup <laughs> <laughs> it's the most maddening hiccup ever no, I hear, I, I'm with you. Let me, let me just say one thing about the 2010 World Cup. Getting a chance to host that in South Africa was, was an absolute lifetime highlight for me. And sitting with Alexi Lalas in Pretoria, you know where I'm going with this? The, the match course. against Algeria. I mean, it was, it, they're going to lose and they're going to not go through. They're going to not go through. And it's going to be shocking. That Donovan goal called so amazingly by Ian Dark. I, probably, I get goosebumps. I probably heard that a hundred times. But to watch that unfold with Howard's outlet, the buildup, and then the goal, and to watch it next to Alexi, guys, okay? So he's like Mr. Red, White, and Blue. He was dying inside and a little bit outside, too, at the way that match was unfolding and the fact that they were going to get stopped and not go through, which was obviously the bare minimum to be an acceptable result. And then to have everything change, to go from being out to winning the group with that goal was another one of those moments for me. And I got to be a fan. Like, I wasn't doing anything at that game other than watching. I did the post game with Lexi. We were both, like, four feet off the ground. But to go ahead and then and uh, and then host that that final was just an amazing thing. And you're right. 
for America to go from that plucky team, which was scraping and clawing to find a goal and trying to outwork people and outfit them to now have actually having a nucleus of young skill. I think it's, is it eight or 10 guys on champions league rosters? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's you 10. Said five today, but I think it's, it's even more than that. They're in the competition. So it's awesome. And, and I think Christian, I know those guys will all get better for the experience. I uh, want to close uh, with the upcoming match against Manchester United. Uh, the Chelsea have, of course, on in the fifth stand app, the play predictor game. You can make your predictions on not just the score, but a bunch of different details and win prizes. So Chris Fowler looking ahead to Manchester United at the weekend. These two clubs played four times last year. What is your prediction for the game on Saturday? I hope that United have a massive hangover. I hope they go out in Paris and they celebrate the victory over PSG, which is a massive result for them in the Champions League. I hope they drink champagne, overeat, and then stumble back, and they can't even move on the weekend. That would really be nice. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think we can count on that. I mean, they're coming off, but that, that's a massive result. So I don't know if they build on that. I don't know if there's – I mean, it's, it's weird to think of there ever being a letdown for a United-Chelsea game. But um, and I don't know what to make of it. I mean, obviously, they got some things sorted out there. I, you know, just encouraged – getting closer and closer to 100%, Mendy being back. I mean, obviously, I mean, I have United fans who are friends of mine, and it's, it's obviously, <laughs> we all do, because they're all a bunch of people that jump on the bandwagon for the last 20 years around the world. But that, so there's a lot emotionally invested whenever those two teams play. I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm not going to be, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, that, that, that game means more than the others. And, uh, and based on what I saw today, I'm, I'm, I'm more hopeful. All right, Chris Fowler making his debut appearance here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Hopefully it's the first of many, sir. We hold you in the highest regard. Immense respect for what you do broadcasting-wise and, and your Chelsea fandom. It's a different, it's a potty mouth uh, Chris Fowler here, Chris Whittingham. Was, it's, that, uh, was that potty mouth? No, I, no, no, no. There was blanks. I bleep, I bleep, I bleep myself, yeah. But yes. That's, that's, to give, that's to give you that. You wanted it. You, Chris, you wanted an example of what it's like in the living room. I'm not saying it's PG-13 language. Uh, you know, when, when, when Chelsea, I haven't heard a lot of PG-13 language at the bridge when I've been there either. So I'm just, I think I'm, I'm the same as everybody. You just want us to return to the times we can go in there and watch these games in person. Part of it is a little, it's a little bit bittersweet to watch you know, that, that beautiful place empty and, and know that it's, we don't know when we're going to be able to get back there. But whenever they're allowed to put fans back in there, I'm, I'm going to elbow my way in there because I've been, I've been missing it desperately. And we can do this again and we'll bring along Dominic team or bring on a few other uh, Chelsea people. I'm sure you should get, have you ever had him on the podcast? Wow. Don team is a, uh, is a Chelsea, Chelsea fan. fan. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, we, 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 we communicate about that. He, he's a big Chelsea fan. So I, I don't know his story where he, he's obviously a lot younger than I am. So he probably came, came to the club when they were already winning hardware, but, but he's a huge, he's a huge Chelsea fan. So we'll all get together. I'm sure we, we can watch one together at some point. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Chris Fowler, thank you again for joining us here on Chelsea Mike Dot. Keep the blue flag flying. Hi guys. Take care. Final stretch here of Chelsea Mike Dup in an eventful episode we have a massive match with Manchester United we'll get into previewing in just a second but I want to highlight one of the supporters clubs Chris and it's a supporters club there are a lot of these I've come to find it's a supporters club I've actually watched a couple of matches with not one but two I watched that famous Carabao Cup final that Maurizio Sarri and Kepa went at it uh, unfortunately, Chelsea didn't come away with the Cup of Cups in this matchup at Wembley, but my wife and I had a great time watching this match with the Atlanta Blues. Atlanta Blues, I feel like I'm a family member 
of the Atlanta Blues. I've been able to watch more than one game with you guys. They reached out to us and they shared their club story. Chris, and remember, for the people that want to share their club stories, make sure to check out the show notes in the episode description to find out how you can be highlighted. Chris, tell us about the wonderful... Atlanta Blues. Well, the Atlanta Blues are very proud of their charitable efforts beyond just getting together to watch Chelsea matches. They uh, come together to support their community by raising funds, donating food, and volunteering for charities. In January 2016, October 2017, and May 2018, they held football trivia events to raise funds for the Fuji's family. Fuji's family is a nonprofit organization committed to empowering minds and rebuilding lives for young refugees. In 2018, they ran a food drive for the Atlanta Food Bank. Uh, They partnered with Our Houses, Homeless Shelter, and Downtown Atlanta. And they've also come together to work on a bunch of different efforts, Kick It Out, and the Anti-Defamation League, which, of course, is a huge effort within Chelsea as well. So Atlanta, very proud of their charitable efforts. And there are all kinds of amazing things that supporters clubs do all over the country. And Atlanta Blues, certainly one of them. Atlanta trying to lay claim to the soccer capital of the South. Great support for their MLS side. I think their MLS team is top 10 in the world in attendance, obviously, pre-pandemic. So if you're ever in the Atlanta area, look up the Atlanta Blues, a great bunch of people to watch a Chelsea match with. Before we get into our Manchester United preview, Chris, let's highlight the crazy week that was. I feel like we're on repeat here in the Premier League. Another insane weekend. Everton and Liverpool, Virgil van Dijk, the headlining story out of this match. A massive injury for Liverpool. This is not the time for me to say that the league has caught up to Liverpool. But they've conceded Liverpool has a ton. I think entering that weekend, they conceded more than anybody else in the Premier League. And that was with Virgil van Dijk. A guy who you could point to and say, that's a footballer of the year previously. So... What does Liverpool do now? Because the transfer window is closed. What are their options? Can they stop the bleeding along that back end? This is now a genuine fight, I feel, for the top four Liverpool find themselves in. 100%. And this, for me, opens up the title race. I know you've been saying that you think that Liverpool have been figured out a little bit, but given the start of everyone else in the league, I thought Liverpool was going to cruise to this title if if, if Virgil van Dijk was healthy. Eventually, they were going to stop conceding goals. They've had moments at times, although nothing like this, where they've given away goals. But as you said, they exit this weekend, having given away the most goals in the Premier League. They were tied with West Brom, and West Brom played out a goalless draw. So right now tied with 13 goals conceded from five games. And it's a big concern now without Virgil van Dijk. And I think what you're going to see in terms of their adjustment is them become a bit more like what they were before Allison and Virgil van Dijk got there, which was this really open team, attacking, pressing, because if they don't have that remarkable quality at the back, then you're going to have to compensate for it in some way. And I think we're going to see Liverpool actually open up even more to compensate for the fact that they don't have as much at the back. Virgil van Dijk was always there to put out fires. And I always felt like... Liverpool weren't as fun the last couple of years with Virgil van Dijk because the games weren't as open and you just have a certain solidity with playing with him that you don't otherwise. And so I think now that without it, they're going to see Liverpool kind of become, for me, more fun. But also I think their games become more open and we'll see if they can basically outscore teams in their way towards having success, which they weren't able to do before he got there. Looking at this through the blue prism of Chelsea fandom, if you thought those games were wide open between these two sides before... Holy cow, these games that were already plenty of fun have just gotten a lot more fun. And 
even though I'm, I know my position here on this show, and I'm, I'm constantly positioned as the guy that's anti-Liverpool, and my mentions always blow up anytime you guys like get a draw at this point. It's weird. But that side, without Allison, so made a Champions League final, so we're in a very competitive Premier League chase. I think the story with the Premier League is all the other teams. I don't think this is sustainable for Aston Villa. We'll find out. Ross Barkley seems to be an amazing addition for Aston Villa just two matches in. We've been down that road here at Chelsea, and Everton's been down that road with Ross Barkley too. Let's see how long this can be sustained with Aston Villa because I have my questions. Everton, that's a different story. I have faith in that manager. They have top quality players. And this was supposed to be a result that, okay, Everton, that was a nice, cute story. But Liverpool, the champs are here to talk you back into the fact that you're Everton. Didn't happen. I think they are certainly going to be in this top four chase. Now, if you're an Everton fan, you're talking title with the Virgil van Dijk injury. Jordan Pickford, I know that was controversial. I I don't think that that's realistic, even though if you're a crazy Everton homer, you can't help but get the saucer eyes. But this is one of those teams that's going to be fighting for European position alongside Chelsea, I think. And those, I hate playing at Everton. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's a house of nightmares. That now (laughs) becomes a massive fixture for Chelsea's top four race. The title chase and, and the top four race this year, more than any other year, uh, that we've certainly been doing this podcast and we're just been talking about the Premier League together seems to be in lockstep with that title chase, the top four. We're on the precipice, I feel, of a very dramatic season in the Premier League. And boy, I saw plenty of tweets about how the league has opened up for Tottenham, especially at 3-0. <laughs> but if you thought for one damn second here on Chelsea Mic'd Up, we weren't going to make fun of Tottenham Hotspur for blowing a 3-0 lead. In the 82nd minute, they were leading 3-0. That has literally never happened in Premier League history. Stunning. I cannot believe West Ham, of all teams, pulled this off. Spurs, obviously, a massive missed opportunity because that is a front-running manager. If he gets you to buy in, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, and all of a sudden, you have a lot of positive momentum. Everyone was saying, I saw Arlo's like so much for Jose Mourinho being washed up, and that still may ring true. But the fact that they conceded three after Gareth Bale comes on, which nice little day out on the greens for Gareth Bale, three under par, great to see. (laughs) I mean, clap it up, great story. I cannot believe this. It is so Spursy. They're inventing ways to be Spursy. That is a, a Premier League regular season result that is going to be remembered forever. Oh, for sure. I like. I remember. I, I was actually on the air. I, I, I work on NFL coverage for the Miami Dolphins, and I saw out of the corner of my eye that the goal went in, and I like. I stood up and was fist pumping in. Like I'm doing the show from my living room. Like it was such a momentous moment that goal flying into the top corner. But I mean, it goes back to something we were talking about earlier with with Chris Fowler. You and Chris Fowler are a big fan of the defensive stylings of Jose Mourinho. It's hard to pull that off now, and I know that. I mean, there's never a scenario where Jose Mourinho team pre-Man United 
that would have ever happened to him. And and that's the most stunning thing is that, because it was funny, you know at 3-0, they scored three goals in 16 minutes, Tottenham. You know it at that moment, Jose's already talking about, because he's already kind of jabbed at this, well, if I'm such a defensive manager, how are we scoring so many goals? Like, you can tell he's getting ready, like, that feeling of projecting the confidence that he's got this team humming and playing well, and now it's right back down to earth. They're playing in Europa League as well, and that feeling of Tottenham with Son and Kane, they look like two of the five best players in the league in that game and the way that they're playing right now. Without that result to back them now, I'll be curious to see how they respond and where they are in, in the context of all these other Premier League teams that, the, that are supposed to be at the top end that have had their struggles this season. The crazy yo-yo of the Premier League season. We were throwing dirt on the grave of Manchester City. They get a pretty remarkable, considering how we've seen them play and the fact that they were missing KDB, a workmanlike 1-0 victory over Arsenal, who also is now in this conversation as, hey, top four, totally open to teams like us. A surprising result there. And we want to talk about the crazy yo-yo of the Premier League, Manchester United, helter-skelter, all over the place. I can't keep up. Right now, they'll enter this match against Chelsea as odds-on favorite, I imagine, given their recent form, uh, a big victory in the Premier League, 4-1, I believe, Mm -hmm. and then this massive result at PSG. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, does he have another overthink in him? Because he (laughs) overthought that FA Cup final, and he kind of overthought this PSG match in a similar fashion, but it worked for him. Maguire not in the lineup for that match against PSG. More of the same for Ole, or does he totally zig again and overthink this matchup with Frank Lampard, a manager that he was doing quite well against until that FA Cup final where he kind of played himself? Well, it's funny because in the 86th minute, you mentioned earlier like how late it was for Tottenham. In the 86th minute, Man United won 1-1 with Newcastle. And it's feeling like, man, they're going to drop points away at Newcastle. Like, this United season is off to a dreadful start. Then they score three goals. Then they beat Paris Saint-Germain away from home. With, as you said, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, his tactical acumen is questioned all the time. Can he make adjustments? Can he do things to kind of shore things up? You go away from home, you're playing Neymar and Mbappe in the Champions League, the Champions League runners-up from a year ago. Can they put together a system to defend? Because they've just given away such awful goals at times. They've given up six to Tottenham and, and looking really leaky in defense. Can he shore it up? And he did. I mean, he put Luke Shaw in a back three. He gave Axel Twenzebi, who, I mean, you know, he's probably played 10 times in the Premier League max, a start away from home at PSG. He was able to figure out a system that allowed them to have that platform to attack, and they're always going to have a moment from Rashford, a moment from Martial, a moment from Bruno Fernandes. Like, they, they have... That moment is always from the spot, it would appear. <laughs> right, exactly, right. It, it'll only come from the penalty spot. But I think that if he can give them that platform, but when he tried to be a bit more defensive against Chelsea in that FA Cup semifinal that they looked really moribund. They looked like they couldn't get the ball moving in the attack, and they looked stayed, whereas in this PSG game, it worked. I'll be curious tactically how he sets up, but it really could be one of two different things. They can set up to attack, and they can set up like they did in this PSG game. And I think if they set up to defend, they're going to get caught out because it's one of those things like we've talked about with Chelsea before where if something works, then they do it the next game, and then it doesn't work the the, the second game. I feel like if you repeat that game plan, that was a PSG-specific game plan, and I don't think it'll work against Chelsea. I think Chelsea do well. I'm predicting a draw in this match because why the hell not? I'm not going to pick against Chelsea in this match. I I do want to take stock in the fact that 
the boogeyman is dead to a degree, and now Ole has to show the world something in this tactical matchup against Frank Lampard. I think this is another ugly draw for Chelsea. I think it's as simple as this. Chelsea do not lose this match against Manchester United if they can keep Bruno Fernandes off that penalty spot. Mm. And that's the book on them. That's how they get their goals. Don't make the mistake. Keep them off that penalty spot. And you can get points from this match. Hell, you can win this match. This is a winnable match. All the matches in the Premier League this year are winnable. Baby, Virgil van Dijk just went out with an injury. All these teams are learning their teammates. It's a pandemic world. And I am a pandemic girl. Let's go, Chelsea. <laughs> Let us get some points in this match. I'm talking myself into a victory here, Chris. I'm talking myself into a full three-pointer. I'm going for it. I'm going to make the prediction. I'm going to be more positive than you about Chelsea for the first time in the history of this podcast. I'm a balance of play guy. And Manchester United's balance of play in the Premier League this season has been bad. I thought they were outplayed by Brighton. They got that last minute, hundredth minute penalty. I thought they were mostly pretty bad for most of the game against Newcastle. And then find those individual moments. I don't think that individual moments are enough when you're playing against a fellow big six side. You need to be playing well. And Chelsea, yes, they're, you know, they, they played a nil-nil in midweek, but they played a couple of 3-3s, three which means they can get three. They can attack. They can score goals. I think they're going to get goals in this game, and I think they're going to make, particularly if United stick with this PSG game plan, they're going to make United at times look like they're not able to really get into their attacking flow. I think Chelsea are actually going to, Com- I don't want to say comfortably win this game. They're going to win this game. I'm going to steal your line 2-1 to Chelsea. Oh, wow. All right. So <laughs> we can't go a Chelsea mic'd up episode without laughing at Tottenham or making a 2-1 prediction. <laughs> I'm going to go 1-1 in this match and hope that you're right and I'm wrong. Till we speak again, Chelsea fans, thanks again to our guest, Chris Fowler. Thanks to you for listening. Please drop us a rating of five stars on your platform of choice and a review. Pod good. Mike, your hair looked great today. Anything at all to help boost our standing among the charts, that goes a long way. I know many of you people listening right now have already done that, and we thank you. If you're a new listener and you haven't gotten around to that, please, it'll take two seconds. Pod good, five stars. Subscribe, rate, review, share amongst your friends. We'll be back at you with a recap episode of this Manchester United match, which is being advertised here, Chris, as one of the biggest matches of the season. You get the big American star, and all of a sudden, Al Michaels is hyping up your game. I'm excited. This is a big fixture. The blood boils when we face Manchester United. For the love of God, Kurt, don't make Chris Fowler curse your name just just don't make the mistake in the box to give him the penalty and we can get three points from this match i promise you till we speak again everybody up the chelsea